welcome to the June podcast of Mind and Soul. In this programme, Will van der Hart looks at some of the ways mental distress is managed and mismanaged in churches and the important role that church community can play. Then Rob Waller shares a sermon from a recent Mental Health Sunday at the church in Halifax. Okay, well, so you're a, you're a pastor. You spend a lot of your time working in the church and talking to people, and you you must come across a lot of people who struggle and struggle with their mental health, with emotional distress. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think a lot of people actually find Jesus uh, in their moment of of weakness, and you know, there's no coincidence that the church attracts a lot of people with mental health issues because the people who have got problems and recognise that they have are looking for relief and and release and. Jesus obviously offers that in the church, and so this is a good place to come if you're, um, if you're in distress. So you get a lot of people coming looking for answers, and I mean, which do they find first? You know, do they find answers to their distress, or do they find Jesus, or are those two sort of mixed in together? Well, I think people come to church for a number of different reasons, and often at the time they can't quantify what those are or the order in which they find resolution. Um, I think a lot of people are drawn by the therapeutic community. Um, you take away the therapeutic to start with, and you've got the community. After a while, they realise that by brushing shoulders with people, actually people have got something to say about their life and their situation. So um, there's that aspect of things which is very attractive. But also, um, as time goes by, people connect with Jesus the healer, and that's extremely exciting. How does... I mean, Jesus is a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, and I mean, I know that, you know, we kind of think that he's, he's alive today you know christians would say he's alive and he's in heaven but i mean this this jesus the the healer thing what does what does that feel like i mean how does how does that work how do you get healed by jesus i think it's really um a a very complex question and there's lots of different dynamics and dimensions to an answer um i think the first thing to recognize is that is that we believe that jesus was himself god and is himself god god created humankind in his own image and he actually knows what we're built to be who we really are and what our real identity is therefore coming into into contact with god through the person of jesus christ is if you like coming uh, back to the factory where you were first created and actually meeting someone who knows how all the parts fit together right. so that yeah. engagement is an engagement with jesus the healer we also believe obviously in the power of the holy spirit who is living and active in our lives and uh, we also see god's word the bible coming alive uh, in its guide to teaching us how to be uh, how we think and how we act uh, and and that revelation actually helps us to change and mm. to transform us. Can you give us an example, maybe of either from your own life or or someone who you 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 know you've worked with or spent time in the church who's kind of got got a bit of themselves put back together by Jesus? You know, who who knew where they were heading? Sure, I can tell you a hundred stories of recovery and transformation through people's experience of Jesus as healer. Um, one of the most common ailments I think uh, people struggle with in our society is depression. And depression is often caused by experience of isolation or experiences of deep personal pain and injury over time. Um, 
bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, if you apply Jesus' teaching to those different areas, Jesus obviously knows us, loves us as we are. He forgives us for our sin, taking away uh, a great extent of the problem of guilt. Um, people come into community. People are made aware of, of Jesus' love for them. They're made, of, uh, made aware that they can love their neighbor and forgive them, so therefore they experience forgiveness both of themselves and of those who've hurt them. And there's a great experience of release. And then there's a, a break in isolation as people come into contact with one another as they really are, known, loved, and accepted as they are. And obviously we're not saying that um, there are sort of theological quick fixes uh, to mental health problems. What we are saying is that Jesus has something really good to say to people who are struggling uh, with their mental health. Mm. It's interesting that, because, you know, we've talked a little bit about the, the community, the healing community, you know, what, what Christianity has to offer. But I suppose, you know, one of the things that's been said about mind and soul is, it, is it's there to help people who are interested in Christianity and also interested in mental health. And I guess my experience is that there's kind of almost two groups of people. That, that there's some people who became Christians because they were looking for something, yes, but then after becoming Christians, they really take to it like a duck to water. They're, they're involved in the church. They, they really seem to understand, you know, this forgiveness of guilt. Um, next thing you know, they're sort of charging on ahead and they're a young leader in the church and they're being a big brother or a big sister to other people. But then you get other people who, who, who come into church and they, you know, maybe they even sort of start believing and become Christians, but they're, they're just stuck with guilt. And they're, um, they're, you know, they're, they're just really finding it really hard to get involved in stuff. And actually, when you look at their lives, maybe, they, they've often found it hard to get involved in things. You know, it could be the case in other situations. Maybe at school, they were never a very popular person or they had lots of superficial relationships or, um, you know, there's people who sort of come in and you say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is offering this, but if someone doesn't seem to be able to get that and doesn't seem to be able to make the jumps that other people around them are making, isn't that going to make them feel even worse? And, and what's Jesus got to say about that? Well, I think that's a really good question, Robin. It's, and it's very insightful uh, to see that Christianity, if you like, can have a flip side within the church. And Christianity in itself can be responsible for an, uh, an exacerbation of people's guilt. Um, and this is very unfortunate because Jesus came to give people life and life in all its fullness, as it says in John 10.10. 10. He, didn't, he didn't come um, to condemn the world, to enslave people. He came to set people free. Um, I think the church itself has a responsibility for its teaching, for its use of social control, and, and sometimes um, for the implications uh, of some of its teaching which aren't always uh, made clear and understood appropriately. But I do think it's a mistake to view us, if you like, on a linear um, scale going up some grade from coming into church and not really being anywhere and then kind of grading through different, um, different sort of margins until we're sort of high up in the echelons of the church and are a success story. I think life is undulating. I think we experience um, high points and real low points and downturns. And I think actually um, Jesus is offering to travel with us, and that's very, very exciting. He's not offering to take away all of our pain and all of our experience of suffering. And so what we're offering is not, if you like, a complete release from everything that you've ever endured or suffered. What we're offering is, is God traveling with us, which brings us comfort in the dark times and joy in the good times. Uh, and I think it's really important to hold on to the fact that Jesus does release people from guilt 
where people maybe have a preoccupation with their guilt, uh, we need to ask the question about, you know, how, are they actually coming to connection with Jesus Christ? And what is the church actually teaching about forgiveness? And sometimes that, that they're the areas where the problems lie. Mm. So if someone started coming to church and had become a Christian and thought, yeah, this Christianity thing's for me, but they were still really struggling, you know, with their own identity, with with their mood being up and down, and that maybe just coming along to church but not not really getting involved you know can you give us perhaps two or three tips real simple tips you'd give to them well it's really important to understand that church is a community and actually we're here for each other you don't come into church as, a, as an isolated experience of worship the whole principle of the church uh, that, that is outlaid by paul in, in corinthians is about a family we're invited to eat together the communion meal is it was a participatory event it wasn't just a symbol um, we, we're invited to come together and sometimes when we come to churches we feel isolated maybe we feel judged maybe we're very self-conscious we actually need to press through our anxieties uh, come alongside people and introduce ourselves boldly being aware that these people of all the people in the world these people should not uh, in their very sort of in the core of who they are reject us because jesus hasn't rejected us and they're called to do the same i think it's very important to make yourself known and i think Sometimes people do come into the back of church and leave just before the final hymn or song, and then they decide that they're not going to go there again because no one actually welcomed them. The thing is, if you come into church five minutes after the beginning and leave five minutes before the end, the opportunity for family and fellowship is actually lacking. So it's important to stay around and make yourself known. And if you, if you, can, if you can be courageous enough, introduce yourself uh, to people around you or to the welcome team, and they normally uh, find that there's someone that they can connect you to. Obviously, if you're feeling particularly intimidated, there, there's a whole life of the church, normally outside of a Sunday, and small groups and um, family groups, fellowship groups, mothers groups. Uh, you know, There's lots of different uh, dynamics where smaller communities, which can be less intimidating, are available to you. So uh, I, I do think it's about knowing and being known. start with a story that I'm sure all of you know about an ugly duckling and the story about the ugly duckling was that somehow this other egg had got into the nest that mother duck was looking after and when the ducklings were hatched all of the nice little fluffy brown ducklings were there but one of the ducklings didn't look like the other duckling and it was sort of white and different and had a strange shaped beak and as they grew up all the other ducklings started taking taking the mickey out of this ugly ducking and saying to it, look at you, your coat's the wrong colour, you're wrong, there's something wrong with your beak, what's wrong with you? And this poor ugly duckling one day got so depressed and so fed up that it decided to leave its mother and people who he thought were its brothers and sisters behind it and swam off across to the far side of the pond, just with its eyes shut, not even bearing to look at anything around it. And these other birds came to swim up to it and and they said wow look at you you're amazing you're beautiful and the ugly duckling said what do you mean I'm I'm the wrong color my my beak's the wrong shape I don't fit in and they said no you're exactly the right color look you're you're the same color as us your beak's the same shape as us you're beautiful and I'm sure you all know the story and the ugly duckling looked down into the water into the reflection in the pond and he saw 
what previously had been this strange, fluffy, white signet with its beak the wrong shape, had grown into this beautiful, amazing swan that was just the most majestic bird that had ever been seen on this lake. And when he actually met the other swans, they said to him, that's who you are, you're a swan. And what I want to do today is, is talk to you a little bit about the issue of identity and who we are, because I think that's right at the core of who we are as humans, and it also lies very much at the core of mental distress and, and mental illness. And I want to talk about the identity we truly have, as it said in our colleague today, sons and daughters of God, and sometimes the identity that other people give us. They say to us, you're different, you're strange. And that, ident that misidentification often comes from people who don't get us, who don't understand us. They don't understand that we are the sons and daughters of God and that God is interested in us. And I'm sure you've heard the old tale in the, nurse, in the nursery playground at school. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And I think one of the things I want to say today is never was a greater untruth told in the playground. And there's names that other, give us, other people give us that the story is told of Winston Churchill when he was a young man at junior school. His teacher said to him, you're never going to amount to anything. Or other people might come up to people and say, you're, you're spotty or, or you're overweight. Or in mental illness terms, you might say to someone, he's a nutter or he's a psycho or something like that. And those things can be extremely damaging. And of course, often we say things to ourselves. We give ourselves names that are not true, such as, I'm a failure, I'm useless, I'm weak, I'm good for nothing, I'm an ugly duckling. And these names are given to us by people who don't get us, who don't seem to understand us. But God has got other plans for us. And one of the stories we heard from the Old Testament was the story, and I'm sure you might have heard this many times, either in Sunday school or just in the church here or just reading your Bibles, about Jacob. And Jacob was this young man, and to cut a long story short, he spent his whole day hanging around his mother's skirts. He really wasn't a man's man. He was really just hanging around in the kitchen. He'd never really grown up. And his mother had called him the name Jacob, which means deceiver. And he always was insecure. He was always looking to his mother for direction and for approval. And it wasn't until God actually got him away from his mother and actually had a wrestling match with him, because the story is that Jacob wrestled against an angel there, that God said to him, I'm going to change your name. You're not going to be called deceiver or weak or ineffective anymore. You're going to be called Israel, one who struggles with God for a blessing, one who is going to lead a nation. And God gave him this completely new name. And you might have noticed in Scripture that God very rarely allows people to give his key people names. Usually he gives them a name. One guy was called Saul, and God said to him, no, you're called Paul. Someone was called Peter, and God said, Simon, sorry, and God said, you're called Peter. One person was called Abraham, which means mighty father, and God said to him, that's not quite good enough. I'm going to call you Abraham, which means father of many. And one person was called Jacob Deceiver, and he was renamed Israel, the one who has wrestled his blessing from God. And what I want to do is just take you through the beginning of, of the Gospel of Luke, just some stories again that I'm sure you know about Jesus. And Jesus was born in difficult circumstances. He was born 
really without a proper father. People kind of knew that Joseph was around on the scene, but they also knew that they weren't married yet. And was this child illegitimate? Was he meant to take on the name Joseph, you know, son of Joseph the carpenter? Or was he just Mary's child that had somehow got in there? And people probably went around to Jesus and said, who's your dad? Were you born out of wedlock? Are you actually the son of Joseph? Or did Joseph just marry Mary to keep Mary's honour and keep things quiet, which is what we're told happened? And also, Joseph and Mary themselves didn't really get Jesus. We hear the story of Jesus when he was in the temple um, talking. This is when he was 12. They went to Jerusalem. And Jesus was talking with the leaders in the temple. And Mary and Joseph still hadn't worked out that Jesus was the Son of God. They still hadn't worked out that the obvious place for Jesus to be was in his father's house. And they lost their own son for three days. Now, I don't know how many of you are parents or you've got children here. Imagine losing your own child for three days and also knowing that your own child is the son of God, not thinking that he's probably in his father's house at church. And it was fairly obvious that Joseph and Mary didn't really get Jesus either. Mary knew a little bit, maybe, but they didn't really get Jesus. And I guess a lot of Jesus' friends were, were teasing him and saying, who are you? You know, you've got these highfalutin ideas. And in my work as a psychiatrist, I meet many, many, many fascinating, interesting people with stories to tell of overcoming struggle, of having been through some amazing experiences that, to be honest, if I'd been through their experiences, I may be having the same struggle that they have. But people who don't get them are calling them all of these things. They're saying to them, you're weak, you're different, you're weird. Us, the same people, are over here. All of the mad people, all of the depressed, weak people are over there. And the other thing that happens is these people can get very depressed as a result of all this name-calling and maybe begin to isolate themselves. The ugly duckling who, who swims away from the group because they can't bear to be in that kind of environment. And that's one of the really awful things about my job is, is meeting people who people have never understood that, wow, that person was a, was a fighter pilot in World War II. But now they've got depressed and everyone's forgotten that. Or this person is an amazing mother with four children who she loves dearly. It's just that at the moment she can't cope. And people haven't made the effort to get to know people and really understand them. But sometimes, sometimes we are got by people and there were some people who got Jesus. You might remember the story that when Jesus was inside Mary's womb and John the Baptist was inside Elizabeth's womb, the two mothers met and it said that John the Baptist, the baby, leapt with joy. He got excited when he met Jesus, even though he wasn't born. And John the Baptist began to get Jesus. Or the story when Jesus was presented at the temple. And Anna the prophetess had been in the temple fasting and praying for years, waiting for this moment. And Simeon, the old man, had been there for years, waiting because he'd had a dream that he was going to see Jesus. And these two people had been waiting and one of the really exciting things about my job is when I'm able to spend time with people and talk to them and get them and help them see that spark. But unfortunately, like John the Baptist, John the Baptist was this desert prophet who got beheaded and he only had a minimal input into Jesus' life. And Anna and Simeon were old people who I imagine died fairly soon after and Jesus was only a baby and they probably only had minimal input into people's lives. And sadly, as a psychiatrist, I may just see someone once or twice 
Sometimes I see this longer, often it's just once or twice when they're seeing someone else in the team. And although maybe I can create that spark, I can try to understand them a little bit, often I have a fairly minimal input into people's lives. But not so the local church. And that's where I'm going with this. Not so, not so the local church. So Jesus starts his ministry. He gets to the age of 30 or thereabouts and he starts his ministry. And John the Baptist calls him forward. He's baptized. And everyone was thinking, who is that? Who is that Jesus who John's about to baptize? And some people might have known Jesus as a good person. Some people might have known him as a, a prophet. Some people wanted him to be a, a warlord who was going to overthrow the Romans. Some people were thinking, who's that silly boy from Nazareth? What does he think he's doing? Other people would have said he was mad. Other people would have said he's a fool. But I don't, I don't know if Jesus was unsure about himself, but certainly the crowd were very unsure about who he was. But what actually happens there in the story that we had, and I'm just going to read that again, is that if there were any doubts about who Jesus was, if there were any doubts about whether or not he was a duckling or a signet, God rests the matter once and for all. And what we hear is that when other people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son, whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. And God settled the issue of Jesus' DNA once and for all. And he said, this is my son. You know, you're not illegitimate. You're not a mistake. You're my son whom I love unconditionally, without limits, just the fact that you have my DNA, that you have a pulse, that you are human, you are my son. And the colic said, we are God's sons and daughters. And with whom I'm well pleased. And don't forget, Jesus hadn't done anything to earn God's approval at this point. All he'd done was stand up and say, God, this is my life. I'm going to face and walk towards Jerusalem now. But he hadn't done that yet. All he'd done was stand up and God said, I am pleased with that. And then if you've got any questions about who Jesus is, there's this massive, great, long genealogy, this great, long list of these names in the Bible. And I'm not going to try and read it out because I'll probably get most of them wrong. But he goes on. Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began this ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And you can think that if you want. But then it goes on. He's the son of Heli, the son of Levi, the son of Jani. And it goes through. And there's some famous names in there. The son of David, the son of Judah, the son of Noah the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And that's why that passage is there, because everyone misunderstood Jesus, but God didn't. God knew exactly who Jesus was. And that's something I can never do in my role as a psychiatrist. I can never say, from my psychiatric knowledge, say to someone, you are a son and daughter of God. You were lost, and now you are found. Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I can do quite a lot as a psychiatrist, but I cannot do that. And I wonder if that's one of the key things that the church can do for people who struggle with themselves, who struggle with mental distress, maybe even are mentally ill. The church has got a key role in this kind of proclamation, affirmation, telling people, do you know what, you're not an ugly duckling, you're a beautiful swan. And that's something that the NHS, any counsellor, any psychiatrist can never do. And if you read on in Luke, Luke has a temptation, or Jesus has a temptation, which he's able to survive because he knows who he is. 
And then he goes into the temple, and the scroll of Isaiah is opened, and he begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me to proclaim healing for the brokenhearted, to send light for the darkness, to set the prisoner free. Jesus wants to take all these people who think they're depressed and oppressed by depression, people who are, are in the bondage of mental illness, and he wants to set them free. And Jesus wants to be able to say to people, you know, you're not depressed. You're not an ugly duckling. You're not these things. You are a prince of the universe with an inheritance in heaven. He wants to say to those who are poor in spirit, there's going to be an inheritance in the kingdom of God. He wants to say to those who feel as though they've lost all hope, as he says in Luke 4, that this is the year of the Lord's favour. And this is the church, and I, I, I just am so excited by this, that as a church, we have an ability to say this kind of things to people. We, the spirit that was on Jesus in the temple there is on his church today. The spirit of the Lord is upon the people in this building to go out into this community or to say to each other, and perhaps when we share the peace later, rather than saying the peace of God be with you, say, you are a son and a daughter of God. Isn't that amazing? That's who you are. And the church is a whole bunch of other things that I haven't got time to talk about today. It's the alongside presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, we are the arms and legs of Jesus. We will walk with people, carry them sometimes, as the Footprints poem says. And it's also the healing community in which we get alongside one another. We disciple each other. Sometimes we discipline each other. We come together with a mission and a role and a reason for living. Have you ever noticed how many people who seem to be depressed have kind of lost their reason for living and the church has a reason for living it's to bring this good news and over lunch for those who wish what we're going to do is we're going to have a short period of time perhaps discussing how we can take this specifically further and I think Sue's going to say a bit about that at the end but one thing we can all do as Christians even if we haven't got a particular interest in this area is, is to say to people you know I know you feel like an ugly duckling but I know that you're actually a beautiful swan. I know that you are a son and a daughter of God. If you are interested in having Mind and Soul come to your church one Sunday, please see the website for details. Next month, we will look at the topic of obsessional thinking especially in how it affects Christians who are worried about having offended God or going to hell. For more information, other podcast episodes and discussion, please visit and register on our website at www.mindandsoul.info That is www.mindandsoul.info Thank you for listening. You're, you're a pastor. Um, you spend a lot of your life working in the church, a lot of your Sundays chatting to people. Um, I'm going to sneeze, um, so I'm just going to do a sneeze before I carry on. <laughs> good. That's a good start, Rob. <laughs> I'm glad we got that going on. Good, good. Right. Should we okay. start that again? Yeah, we'll just start that again.